19. And I'm going to start in verse number one of Luke chapter 19, starting in verse one. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was rich. He sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, most of our Bibles, all of a sudden, it, it like stops there, and then there's another heading called the parable of the Minas, but actually this story is finished in the next verse. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem because they, everyone with Jesus, thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now, I don't know about you, but I read over that for a whole lot of years, because you read something like that and what the disciples and all the Pharisees and Sadducees, everybody that was around Jesus, when they saw what happened with Zacchaeus, their response was they thought that heaven would immediately appear. Now, I don't know about you, but that intrigues me. That, 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 that causes me to say something was going on in this story that maybe we've read over or read past because, you know, I grew up in church and I grew up going to Sunday school and normally the only thing I really remember about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up to the sycamore tree the Lord he wanted to see. Remember that little Sunday school, little rhyme, that little, that little song that we would sing. And so for years, I would get to this passage, of course, read right past it. I'm like, yeah, Zacchaeus, he was a little guy. He was a short guy. Couldn't see Jesus, climbed up into a tree. Yeah, and you read right past it. But then one day I'm reading it, and all of a sudden I saw that they, after seeing this, thought the kingdom of heaven would immediately appear. And I said, maybe there's something in here we've missed and, and hopefully I'll unpack that as good as I can today. But let's start with this. Number one, the name Zacchaeus. See, the, the name Zacchaeus in the original language is actually translated pure. Allow me to liken Zacchaeus to all of humanity because inside of every human, contrary to Augustine and Anselm and John Calvin and most of our modern day teaching, there's something pure inside of every human called the Imagio Dei, which is the image of God and the likeness of God. There, a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes called it eternity. He says God has placed eternity inside of every single heart. John put it like this in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he said that Jesus, that word is light, and that light is the light of every man. That means every human carries the light of God. It's just sometimes it's dimmer than others, and some it's lighter than others. And the difficult thing about our life is trying to find the light in some folks, because some folks it's hard to see. Amen. A little more difficult. 
It's the same thing with Ephesians where Paul says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of us all who is above all and through all and in all. That means he was in you before you prayed a magic prayer. Amen. Y'all don't want to help me now. It's got real quiet. He's in all. He's not just in all Christians because we can't exist outside of him. It's impossible to be outside of God. Matter of fact, one of the myths, uh, one, of the, one of the myths in my book is that hell is a place that is void of the presence of God. I mean, the truth is nothing can exist outside of the presence of God. There's no verse in the Bible that says hell is a place that is void. Matter of fact, David says, where can I go from your presence? If I ascend to the highest heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are even there. So you can't get away from God no matter where you go. And the truth is, even in hell, and I've had people get upset about that. Well, what are you saying? I'm like, well, I mean, if you if you believe that there is this place of eternal torment and people can sense God's presence but not enjoy it, that's probably a little more tormenting. Well, the truth is you can't get away from him because if if God's not there, then hell is a place that is a God to itself because there's nowhere he's not. There's nothing he doesn't fill. He's above all, through all, and in all. You can, you can go like this, you can go like this, or just shrug your shoulders. He's, you, I'm just telling you, you can't get away from him, period. He's all in all. He fills all things. He's above all things. And so allow me, if you will, this Zacchaeus is a picture of every one of us that inside of us there's this desire to return to where we started because you didn't start in your mom and dad. You came through your mom and dad. You started in God because you started on this journey. That's why That's why David said that when I was, before I was even in my mother's womb, he said he knit my inner parts in my mother's womb. Jeremiah, he says, before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you. Matter of fact, you know that the word father is translated originator or source and so every human is desiring to get back to the source because that's where we started. The truth is Christianity is the only religion on the planet that actually gets you back where you came from. Outside of your works and outside of your sweat and outside of your labor and outside of what you do, matter of fact, God's the one that took care of it for you. That's, that's called really good news. Well, there's something inside of every human wanting to really see Jesus, not religion, not even a lot of forms of Christianity. What they are longing for is Jesus. But Zacchaeus couldn't see him for two reasons. Number one, Scripture says he was short of stature. I guess in this politically correct world, we'd have to say height challenged. Vertically challenged. I'm not even sure you can call anybody short nowadays. I don't know, but 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 I don't believe that was just speaking about like natural size. Even though there's no doubt he probably was on the shorter side, I believe that screams about all of us as humanity that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And what keeps a lot of people from seeing Jesus is our own shortcomings. It's our own shame. It's our own fears. It's, it, it's our own sin. It's our own misunderstandings that we don't believe we're worthy to even see him anyway because of how we view ourselves because of how we've lived. Keeps people from seeing Jesus, but then the good news is Jesus took care of that problem because the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. He took care of our shortcomings. But then the next one is the big one. The other thing that kept him from seeing Jesus was the crowd running with Jesus. 
I, I dare to say that what keeps most people from Jesus is not Jesus. A lot of times it's those following Jesus that are misrepresenting him. I mean, let's be honest, most of the time when CNN and MSNBC and even Fox News, it doesn't matter what news, news, news thing you watch, it seems like every time they put up a Christian, they choose the crazy ones. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we're, don't you ever just sit there sometimes and say, that doesn't, that's, that doesn't represent me. Stop talking for me. And they get Westboro Baptist on there. And I mean, just God's this miserable, horrible, nasty, wrathful dad that can't stand anybody. I mean, you're just like, hey, that's not representing me. But, but, but yet the sad thing is we have to repaint Jesus to the world. Let's be honest. If you were to take your phone down to the local Walmart or, or, or down to the local mall and you were to interview people and ask them, what is your opinion of Jesus, the church, and Christianity. Now, you might run across someone that visited Grace Life and say, some of the sweetest, kindest, most loving people, amen, I've ever met in my entire life. But let's be honest, most of the time what you're going to hear is, is angry, bigoted, shame-based. Normally, sad thing is we have to repaint Jesus to a lot of the world because for a lot of years, the church felt it was our job to clean fish before we catch them. It's not our job to clean fish. It's just our job to catch fish. We have one obligation to people. That's to love them, period. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not junior Holy Spirit. We're not sheriffs of righteousness. Our job is to simply love, period. Our job is to affirm humans. I have people all the time trying to get me to say, do you affirm this and do you affirm this lifestyle? Do you affirm that lifestyle? I said, I don't affirm any lifestyle. Sometimes I don't even affirm some things I do. Sometimes, sometimes I'll look in the mirror and say, that was stupid. I mean, what in the world are you even thinking? Listen, I affirm people, period. I affirm humans, not behavior. Because behavior is not really who you are anyway. Normally behavior flows out of the false self, not the true self. I mean, do you, uh, do you believe that? Of course, it's one of the myths in my book, but this is just another beautiful little picture of it. Do you think Jesus is really going to say to the real you, depart from me, I never knew you, when he knew he knows every hair in your head? Uh, who's he saying depart from me to? The false you. The one that believes that you can ascend to God by your works and labor. That, that, that's why I said many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this in your name? Have we not done that? Have we not done this? Have we not done that? He says, depart from me, I never knew you, because you don't ascend to me by what you do. Right. Good. Ascend to me by who you are because of what I've done. Good preaching, brother. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. See, what keeps a lot of people from seeing Jesus, and I've said this for years, most people aren't running from Jesus. They're just running from a lot of his representatives who's misrepresented. And the truth is we've all done it. I have. Man, I've, I've misrepresented him so many times. My first 10 years of preaching, help me, Jesus. I'm, I'm so glad I wasn't on YouTube. Oh, Lord, have mercy. The revelation I had of him then is nothing like the one I know today. I mean, it was like he was angry all the time and ticked off, and that's just because I was. And I was making him in my image because the truth is you can find a verse in the Bible for anything that you are, and then you call God that. 
If you want an angry God, you can find it. If you want a loving God, you can find it. If you've got a God that loves sacrifice, you can find those verses. If you, if you, you can also find a God that says, I never wanted you to sacrifice things in the first place. I mean, literally, it's, it's literally both sides. You know, I'm with people all the time. Well, but I know you talk about that God is love, but there's another side. You've got to preach the whole gospel. God is also just. And I'm like, yeah, but you're talking about your justice, not his. According to Zechariah 7, verse 9, practice true justice, declares the Lord, and pure justice is mercy and compassion. God's idea of justice is not retribution, it's restoration. So your idea of justice, that, that's why when the Lord said, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, you know what's in the context of that? It's not that God just knows more than you. In the context, it's talking about God's mercy on wicked sinners. And he said, you know what? My thoughts are higher than yours. In other words, your response to the wicked is white mouth. Let's be honest, most of us, if we were being being crucified on a cross and we'd done nothing wrong, we would have called 10,000 angels. We'd have said, sick them, Jesus. Normally, normally we wouldn't have said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what justice looks like. Not man's justice. The justice of God is nothing higher than you. In other words, you know what God was saying in Isaiah? I'm nicer than you. I'm more merciful than you are. Because you can think this one through for a long time, but if you're okay with your God doing something to another human that you could never imagine doing to another human, you're probably not serving the Abba of Jesus. That's, that's better right there than you thought about. If you're okay doing something to another, if you're, if you're saying, I could never do that to another human, but you're okay with your God doing it when he's kinder than us and more long-suffering than us and more merciful See, a lot of times what keeps most people from seeing Jesus is not Jesus. Many times it's the crowd. And the crowd gets in the way. I've told people for years, I said, please stop judging Jesus by his representatives. Because none of his representatives got it all figured out. All of us have our shortcomings and failings, but he doesn't. He's the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never harm you. He's the one. He's the author and the finisher. And, and, and we're all just stumbling through this life, trying our best to be conformed to his image. But please don't just judge him on what you see in church. So Zacchaeus does something very interesting. He, he's still purely desiring to see the real Jesus, so he climbs up into a sycamore tree, not... Not any tree, a sycamore tree. Now, what's interesting is when you study this word sycamore tree, it's actually translated an imperfect fig tree. Which, of course, that the fig tree was a type of Israel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, which then can also be a picture of the church. And, and we are called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Matter of fact, in Psalms, it says the righteous is like a palm tree because in a hurricane, palm trees many times are the one things left standing because they have such a deep root system. They bend, but many times they don't, they don't break. And he said, listen, this is what the righteous are like. The righteous are like a tree. I don't know if you remember the story, but Jesus prays for a man who was blind one day and he says to him, what do you see? And he said, I see men walking as trees. Now, uh, growing up, I heard, I don't know how many preachers preach sermons called a second touch. You know, that, that you come to Jesus and he doesn't heal you the first time, then you can get a second touch and it, get prayer again. And, and nothing wrong with preaching that, but that really wasn't the point of that whole passage because I think Jesus could have healed him the first time. 
I don't think Jesus needed to pray again because he had a lack of faith or anything else. I think what was happening here is that Jesus gave him spiritual sight before he gave him natural sight because who was walking around Jesus was a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees, a lot of trees who weren't rooted and grounded, but they were walking around. Trees don't walk around. Trees are rooted and grounded. And Paul said that what we're to be rooted and grounded in is love. Love. So the Zacchaeuses of this world may never see Jesus until they climb up on some imperfect fig trees. You see, the world is not looking for us to be perfect. They just want us to be authentic. They just want us to be real. What they're looking for is people that are rooted and grounded in love. Not judgment, not shame, not finger pointing. They're just looking for somebody that's planted and that, and they climb up on us, and they pick the fruit of our lives. And what should reflect is Jesus. So Jesus does something incredible, and it's the polar opposite of Pharisees, because Jesus wasn't a Pharisee. This is how Pharisees preached and taught. The sad thing is, this is what I heard most of my life growing up in church. This is what they said, believe what we believe then change, then we'll accept you. In other words, once you pray the prayer and you believe, come back next Sunday all cleaned up. I mean, I, I still remember the day. I, I remember the day where two people would get saved in the same service and the next Sunday, the one guy would show up and he'd have a suit and a tie on, had his hair parted to the side, had his tattoos covered up. And I mean, I mean, he's carrying his Bible. He's on fire for God. And then the other guy that got saved, he's still smoking out in the parking lot. And you know what folks would say? He said, that guy, that guy, they both got saved, but that guy got really saved. Really saved. And it's like... No, they both got saved. They're just walking differently in their conversion of what that looks like. Their soul still needs to be saved and renewed and, and transformed. <laughs> but Jesus flips the switch. He says, hey, Zach, I accept you. No strings attached. He, 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 didn't, he didn't preach what... A lot of people in America call the gospel. I mean, if you go on YouTube, what a lot of these preachers call the gospel is you got to convince someone they're dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking, nasty. I mean, you don't speak to what's pure in them. You speak to the sin in them, not the son in them. Because I've got to convince you how nasty you are, and I've got to preach the law to you to convince you that you are filthy, rotten. Listen, people already know they're messed up. They already know they're jacked up. They don't need you to remind them. They already know that they need a savior because what they need, well, what do they need saving from? Themselves. Or crying out loud. Most folks know, man. They know the thoughts that are in their own mind. Even though, well, I mean, I'm good. It's like, well, come on. You know you got some stuff that's issues and mess. We all do. And Jesus, rather than, notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, you filthy, rotten little heathen. You're going to hell in a handbasket. You've been ripping people off. Get down here and repent right now. Never told him to repent. Never told him to change his life. All he gave him was grace. All he said is, hey, Zach. I must with haste come to your house. And in that culture, when you went to someone's house to eat, you were actually saying, I not only accept you, but I accept you with all of your flaws and all of your issues, and no one was worse than a tax collector. <laughs> Who invites the IRS agent over to their house? 
the auditor, most of the time, they're like, I don't know if I want, I don't know what they might see. I'm not, I'm not even sure. I'm, I'm even comfortable with that. I mean, the Jews didn't like him because he was taking money from them and giving it to the Romans. The Romans didn't like him because they didn't trust anybody that would take money from their own people and then give it to their enemy. And so this guy has no friends. He's the worst of the worst in their culture. And Jesus' response to him is simply, I accept you, regardless of your lifestyle, regardless of your issues, regardless of your mess. And then it says the religious people got mad. You know, some of the meanest people I know go to church every Sunday. Because you know that religion makes you angry? Makes people mad. Religion makes people mad. There's a reason why Jesus would just teach and the Pharisees that get so mad that... Listen, I've gotten anger before. I don't think I've ever gnashed my teeth. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you've got a demon when you're gnashing your teeth. You've, you've lost your mind. I mean, <laughs> it's like, really? It's like you're that upset over what I'm saying? <laughs> you're grinding your teeth at me? You lost your mind. Yeah. love what Dr. Hiles says. He says, ganashing your teeth. <laughs> folks, folks were ganashing their teeth. Jesus' response to Zacchaeus was the opposite of the Pharisees. It was the opposite of the gospel that says, repent, turn from all your wicked ways, and believe. Then God will accept you. Jesus shows up and says, I accept you. Period. And the man comes running down from the tree, runs up to Jesus, and he says something crazy. He said, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. If I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to restore it fourfold. And Jesus is like, wow, salvation has come to this house. Wait a minute. How did salvation come to his house? Jesus never preached salvation to him. Never told him to repent from his sins. Never told him to turn from his wicked ways. Never, never straightened him up. Never gave him the Romans road. It wasn't written yet, but it was in Jesus. But anyway, I mean, just he, he didn't walk him down any certain path. All he said was, with all your issues, with all your mess, I accept you. You see, the, the one thing that we have to understand about Jesus is Jesus did not come just to show us who the Father is. He also came to show us who we are. Nobody knew how to be a human until Jesus showed up. The perfect human showed up and showed what a human with God inside and how that human is supposed to live, how that human is to treat their enemies, how that human is to treat other people, how that human is to respond to sin in people's mess. And Jesus' response, matter of fact, the only people Jesus ever got irritated with was the religious people. And, and, and he's the one, he's a brood of vipers, he whitewashed tombs. I mean, I mean, the people he'd get frustrated with were the people that were keeping the other people, the Zacchaeuses, from getting near him. So if Jesus is our example, then Jesus showed us, at least in this story, how our response towards sinners should be. Our response is just simply saying, I accept you, period. Then the Holy Spirit goes to work because the Holy Spirit is a better Holy Spirit than you and I. Because for a lot of years, I tried to be junior Holy Ghost, and it didn't work. 
I only owe people one thing. Let us love one another as I have loved you. If I'm going to be like Jesus, if, I'm, if he's here to show me what it means to be a human, then that is my response. And Jesus is blown away by this response. And then the Pharisees get angry. He's gone to have a meal with one of those people. He's gone to have a meal with one of those sinners. And Jesus says, he's a son of Abraham also. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that, not who, that which is lost. See, Jesus didn't come to just seek and to save who was lost. It doesn't say for God so loved humanity that he sent his only Son. For God so loved the cosmos. Listen, what Jesus did was so much bigger than just save humans. I heard it my whole life growing up in church that if you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would have still come and died for you. I got news for you. If no human was on the planet, he would have still come and died because his redemption was bigger than just saving humans. It was about redeeming the cosmos. It was about putting everything out of order back into order again. This thing is so much bigger than just I get to go to heaven now. It's so much more massive than that. So here's... Heart of Jesus, he said, I'm not just coming to seek and save who was lost. Because in the parable of the lost sheep, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. That means the one originally belonged. So maybe, maybe according to Paul in Ephesians, that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Maybe you were found in Christ before you ever lost an Adam. Amen. You can think about that one for a moment. Now let me get to the crux and I'll stop. Are we doing all right this morning? Okay, good. The story seems to end. But then it goes on to say, as Jesus went on his way to Jerusalem, he started to tell another parable. But everybody with Jesus were still amazed because they thought that heaven would immediately appear. Why? I mean, what about this story caused them to think that? You see, to the Jews, there were like five main signs that someone was the Messiah. They had seen all of them, but the last one. They believed that when the Messiah would come, blind eyes would come open, deaf ears would come unstopped, the dead would be raised, blind would see, sick healed, dead raised. They, they, they'd seen the dead raised. They'd seen blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, the dumb speak. They saw all those miracles, but to a Jew, the final one was the wealth of the wicked. Because when their last Messiah, because to them Moses was somewhat of a Messiah, their last Messiah, when he brought them out of Egypt and out of bondage and into the promised land, they left Egypt with 480 years of back pay. I mean, they walk out in the wilderness with gold and silver and jewels and all kinds of stuff. And the frustrating part about it was there was no subdivision, so they couldn't buy a home. There was no malls. They couldn't spend no money. And ladies, this would probably be hell to most of you ladies, but imagine having all kinds of money. And not only is there not a mall, but God don't even let your shoes wear out, so you can't even buy a new pair of shoes. I mean, for crying out loud. 
It'd be like, are you serious, God? I got all this money, nowhere to spend it. Because the purpose for all the money wasn't for them. It was to build God a house, not them a house. Because they get out into the wilderness and God says, listen, Moses says, bring an offering so we can build this, this temple and build this ark and build all of these things. And they gave so much and Moses had to say, stop. So when they saw a wealthy man give half of everything he had to the poor and he restored to people he stole from, they were like, they didn't think heaven was about to appear when they saw blind eyes open and deaf ears unstop and the dead raised and that was impressive. But when someone who was wealthy Start giving their money away. They're like, oh, something really happened here. Because people are stingy. You know one of the greatest demonstrations of the book of Acts and Pentecost? We charismatics, man. We, we love the wind, the shaking, the fire, and the tongues. But one of the greatest manifestations was radical generosity. It says there was no want or need among any of them, that people went and sold land and property, laid it at the apostles' feet. I mean, it was a release of radical generosity because something that happens on the inside of you when you have a heart to bless the poor. I remember years ago when my wife and I first got married, um, one thing we sat down, we sat down, we said, okay, well, this is what we're going to do financially, what we're going to give God th this portion. And, and I, I, I never, ever thought 10%. I mean, I was like, you got to beat the law by at least 1%. So we always gave 11%. Anyway, that, that was just us. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go past Moses a little bit here. And, and so well, always that, but then we always gave offerings monthly to the poor because past the, the, both Psalms and Proverbs tell us this, that when you give to the poor, you lend to God. How many of y'all would like God in debt to you? Yeah. One passage says that when you give to the poor, you'll never lack. You'll never lack. Matter of fact, Jesus says that when he returns... He's not only looking for faith, but when he returns, he said that what I actually was looking for is righteousness, and righteousness is how we treated the marginalized. He said, I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. They said, Master, when did this happen? He said, if you've done it to the least of these and you've done it to me, how you care for widows and orphans. Actually, like it or not, it's not progressive Christianity. It, it, it's not, well, you know, that social gospel. Actually, it is part of the gospel. How we care for the marginalized. What we do with our money is extremely important in the kingdom. And that's not just giving money to a church. It's you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit that when you're in line at the grocery store and there's a single mom and, and, and she's trying to pay her bill and they're saying you're $20 short and you say, it's okay, I got it. Why? Because you're generous. Everything about you is a heart to give because you live your life to give because where your treasures is where your heart is. Man, I remember back in the 90s, man, all these revivals were breaking out all over America. And I remember I had pastors call me and say, man, listen, we're looking forward to you coming next week, but I don't know if you'll be able to preach because I ain't been able to preach for 12 weeks. The power of God's hit this church so strong. We're in revival. I said, man, praise God. That's awesome. And I'd say, has your giving gone up? They'd be like, huh? I'm like, has your giving increased? Well, no. I'm like, y'all are just having fun. You're just flopping on the floor and laughing and giggling, and I love all that stuff. Nothing wrong with it. But when God gets a hold of people's hearts, he gets all their stuff.
I, I remember, man, I think it was about 10 years ago. and I was more than that. It was about 15 years ago now. Help me, Jesus. I'm still getting used to getting around preachers, and I'm the older guy in the room now. I was always the young guy in the room. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, my Lord, I'm, I'm not the old guy here. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. Still not clicking. I was at a conference, and everybody ran forward, and, and the preacher was having everybody scream the wealth of the wicked and money, money come. Money come from the wicked. Screaming, and of course, I'm caught up in it, and I'm, I'm going, yeah, money come from the wicked. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, isn't it a sad thing when the church is crying for the wicked's money but not the wicked? So you want their stuff, but you don't care about their soul? And I was literally standing at the altar. My jaw dropped down to here. And then I dropped on my knees, and I was like, God, this, this. We're missing the whole point. Your heart is always for the hearts of people, but where our treasures is where our heart is. I've had people say to me for years, uh, preachers talk about it, God don't need my money. I'm like, I agree, he needs his money. You don't have any money. According to Paul, it's no longer you that live, but Christ that lives in you. So you own nothing, possess nothing, control nothing. All you are is an oikonomai. It's a steward. You simply allow what God has given you. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, everyone and everything in it. It's all his, chief. You own Jack. If you're his. He don't need your money. He needs his. Because to fulfill his purpose on the earth, like it or not, costs a lot of money to do that. When they saw someone be radically generous that was normally stingy, they literally thought heaven would immediately appear. They thought the kingdom at that moment. See, how we care for widows and orphans, how we care for the marginalized, how we, how we care for the people that we drive by at the lights. And, and, and I know a lot of people are scamming, but I still ask the Holy Spirit every time I drive by one of those, is this real and should I give something? I still ask that. There's times I've, I've given and I've had people in the crowd like, what are you doing? That? I was like, listen, the Holy Spirit told me to give that to them. Because I... I I don't own anything. I don't possess or control anything. It's, it's all his. And when it's all his, he said, if you want to see heaven demonstrated and manifested on the earth, watch how my people treat others. Jesus put it like this, and I'll stop. This is the only litmus test that we are his disciples. This is how the world will know you are mine by how you love fellow humans. Not by your church attendance. Not by how accurate you prophesy. Not how many people you pray for that get healed. Not by how much money you even give to the church. They'll know that you are his by how we love one another. I only owe others love. It's not my job to straighten people up. It's not my job at Christmas time 
when the little girl behind the, the desk at Walgreens says, Happy Holidays, sir. It's not my job to tell her that's Merry Christmas to you. Please stop that. That's not helping anybody. It's making us look worse. I've sat in restaurants before with pastors and person in the booth next to us is cussing like crazy. I had a pastor one time look at me and he said, excuse me a minute. He said, pardon me, but I'm offended with your language. You're using my Lord's name in vain. And they just looked at him like, Psh, he kept on cussing. And I looked at him like, really? Like that, that, that offends you? Sinner sinning? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Notice he wasn't called a friend of ex-sinners. That means there's people that got around Jesus that didn't change. And he still loved them. Sinners weren't a notch on his belt. And he said, I got another one today. That, that's not the kind of fishing Jesus did. He loved because he was love. It, it's, it's what flowed out of his very very being and if we're not doing that we're missing the whole point because it's not my job to clean people I've said it here in the past but I, years ago I preached a series called stop giving everybody the finger the world gives a finger and it's offensive but this one's worse finger the holster put the finger back in your holster put the finger of shame and blame away and just love people because Jesus Jesus didn't take that finger out. Again, the only time he ever got frustrated was with the religious that were keeping the Zacchaeuses from seeing him. If we're going to be like Jesus, he's the one that shows us how to be human. He's like, if you want to know how to treat other humans, watch me. The people that you would kick to the curb, those are the people that my heart beats for. Those are the ones I say, I accept you. No strings attached. Back here in May, I have my yearly conference for uh, those that are friends and partners of our ministry in our, in our my network of churches I oversee. And this year we had William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, which... Uh, by the way, if you've never actually been around him, Lord of mercy. He's literally one of the top five most incredible humans I've ever been around in my entire life. He's not a preacher. He's not a teacher. He's a great storyteller. But I never saw more people get set free by hugs. He's, he's this tall. And he just walk up to people. He just open his arms. And I mean, we're not a little side hug. We're talking full on. And people would just crumble. Like, just, just sob. I mean, I, I just stood and watched for four days. He just walked around giving people hugs. And it was like Papa was just hugging him, and people would just crumble. It was powerful. Sunday morning, everything's done. The conference is over, and he's just preaching at the church that we, our home church. And, and the associate pastor's up greeting everybody, and he just gets up from the front row and walks right past him, walks up to a young lady in the worship team. He walks up to her and he puts his arms out like this and she looks at him thinking like she's about to be rebuked or something, you know. And she falls apart in his arms and she was dealing with a bunch of stuff in her family that he didn't know about, but just loved her. But he made a statement and I told him, I said, Paul, I said, I will preach that the rest of my life. I said, I'm going to give you credit the first 10 times. 
And after that, I came up with it. He said the word agape for love, the God kind of love, is it's a one-way love that expects nothing in return. In other words, God loved us with no expectations. His love for us wasn't about what we, lo- we gave back. John even tells us this in 1 John. Herein is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Old covenant was your love for him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But all of a sudden, the new covenant, he said, it's not about your love for God. It's about God's love for you. That's awesome. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't love God back. Of course we do. Once you accept his love, you will love him in return. That's not the whole point, but this this is the thing that's crazy. He said, if love is a one way love with no expectations, then God has never been disappointed with you. Because you can only disappoint, be disappointed if you have expectations. God's never been disappointed with you. You've been disappointed with you. You've been disappointed with others, but he's never been disappointed with you. Because his love for you is not about what you do back. His love for you is just because he's love. Period. Imagine... Imagine if that was the heart of the church. Maybe, maybe rather than the Zacchaeuses not being able to see Jesus, they'd see Jesus everywhere they went because we'd be these amazing examples. Bow your heads, would you? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your love for us that is not contingent on our love for you. It's based on your love for us thank you for this new and better covenant for your absolute amazing crazy ridiculous love for us help us holy spirit to know what it looks like to be a true human to live like jesus who reflects the father to show us that jesus you didn't come to just you didn't come to change the father's mind about us you came to change our mind about the father The Father is so much better than we ever thought or even imagined. Now help us, release release through us a a generous heart in every area of our life and everything that we do and help us to just simply radically love one another as we love ourselves. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage Grace Life.